Good morning. We are four minutes into ticket sales for Bruce Springsteen here in Winnipeg. Who knows? Who knows? Maybe the show is already sold out. So many questions. And we'll let you know when it does sell out. And we expect that it will sell out very quickly. And then will there be a second show if it sells out very quickly? I think Bruce has uh, three or four days between winnipeg and his show in toronto let's go to toronto right now musicologist eric alper joins us eric good morning good morning how are you i'm good listen this is a big deal if people uh, you know if uh, i doubt anybody's listening to us right now because everybody's on their <laughs> phone and, and their computer if you're not on your phone or your computer trying to get your tickets right now you know somebody who is this is a big deal for winnipeg he's never played here yeah, and this is a really great opportunity for people that for the last, oh, 50 years have heard about how great of a show The Boss puts on. This is your opportunity to see him um, in uh, in your own city. Um, certainly the reviews of, of this tour um, is pretty astonishing. He does anywhere between 27 and 35 songs so far um, on this tour, including a number of songs from his cover album uh, that's out now. He does the Benny King song, Don't Play That Song. He plays Night Shift, the Commodore version. Um, he plays Because the Night, which, you know, he's kind of done a lot. The And that was the Patti Smith group cover. Um, but he still does all of the hits, 10th Avenue Freeze Out and Born to Run, and she's the one in Backstreet. And uh, even though that the band has had a little bit of problems getting all of the members of the E Street Band on stage, because uh, COVID struck uh, Jake Clemens, uh, the saxophonist, and little Steven, the guitarist, um, and Patty's been away for a couple of shows here and there. Um, he's got a brand new horn section that is uh, right up at the front and makes it into a giant Motown review. So all in all, if you can score tickets tonight uh, for the show, I think that you'll be in for a really good ride for three, three and a half hours. And uh, some people, when we were talking about the le- how many songs he sings and the length of these concerts, some people said, well, will that be uh, the way it is here at our arena or is that just the stadium shows he does but that's basic he just gets up there and goes yeah and and he's very well aware i know about places that he hasn't played in a long time or places that he's never played before. There are various um, dates on tour dates when you're somebody like Bruce Springsteen that they put a little bit of a star beside it. Those are the ones that, um, you know, New York, London, England, Los Angeles, Toronto, but it also shows that, um, that nobody's ever seen them in that show. So it's their opportunity to say, look, let's just really make them feel um, welcome and let's give them something to talk about. I mean, it's funny because people were saying online, you know, that the show was two and a half, you know, just uh, just under two and a half, two hours, 45 minutes, um, and that they were disappointed. And it was like, he's 73. Like, if I have one-tenth of the energy in my 70s as he does, then I'll be I'll be a pretty happy camper. Yeah, I'm a Howard Stern fan. Howard Stern did an incredible interview with Bruce Springsteen recently. In fact, so much so that HBO or HBO Max picked it up and streamed it because Howard does everything uh, with video cameras rolling these days. And he really is just an incredible artist. And I got the sense, listening to him, that at 73, he really is thinking about making sure he, you know, checks those things off uh, before he's done. And, you know, I think, I I agree, I think a Winnipeg show or shows in cities where he's never been are important to him. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, make no mistake, no matter how much money you have in the bank, no matter how many tours you have, how many albums you have, um, musicians still want to go, go, go until they can't do it anymore. Um, We all used to make fun of a little bit of the Rolling Stones touring in their 50s and 60s back in the day. That's because nobody that wasn't blues could be doing that. It was nobody made fun of BB King in his seventies playing live. Nobody made fun of Buddy Guy or Ray Charles in their eighties continuing to play. But there was just something about uh, you know the white male rock band still singing about stuff that they did when they were sixteen was a little bit uncalled for. And the Stones managed to shatter all of those expectations by still continuing to be one of the best live bands. And when you're somebody like Bruce Springsteen, you are absolutely looking at the Stones, at the Who, at Elton John, and saying, well, if they can do it, then I better be doing it too, because my not just livelihood is at stake, but my reputation is at stake, my legacy is at stake. And they still care about that. They're, they've got just as big of an ego as anybody else that's out there, um, and rightfully so, that, that they are at the top of the game for decades, and you just don't you just don't shut the door on that. It's it's next to impossible for them. I bet you Springsteen during COVID around eight o'clock at night got very antsy of kind of walking around and pacing going, I should be on the road. I should be on a stage somewhere. Well, I've said this many times, especially in the last two or three years, I haven't lost my passion for the things I love, including doing radio, but I've certainly lost some energy, you know? So I can imagine, but seriously, I can imagine artists like Bruce Springsteen at 73 going, man, I want to be on stage, I want to be up there. Now, he still seems to have the energy. I don't know how he does it. Yeah, he's got a really great health regimen. And, you know, going back to the Stones and the Who, um, there's, there's not only hundreds of millions of dollars on the table when you do a tour like this in terms of money in the bank. Um, but there's a livelihood of, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of people that rely on you to go out on tour to make the albums. I'm talking about everybody from the sound engineers to um, the ushers and parking attendants who make their money based on people like Bruce Springsteen continuing to sell out tour after tour after tour. You know, uh, you can still get old, it doesn't mean that you have to act your age, and Bruce Springsteen certainly doesn't act his age for a 73-year-old. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know about ticket prices. I mean, I hear some crazy numbers. I'm not so sure that that's uh, you know, actual retail value on tickets. Uh, I know somebody who was able to get tickets for this show, I think, and they're good seats. They think they paid 450 or $500 a piece. Is that, I guess when you're dealing with an artist like, like Bruce Springsteen, you're going to pay several hundred dollars to sit in his, in his show. If, if not thousands. And that's okay because artists are just like us. We would never work at a job where we would want to leave money on the table. If somebody is offering us a better job, better opportunity, we're going to absolutely take that. And for decades, I've always said that the live show has kind of been a little bit undervalued. If tickets are going for $1,000 on the secondary and scalper market, then maybe artists should start charging $1,000 because that's what they're going for. It's the free market system, and the artist dictates always how much tickets are. So this anger towards Ticketmaster charging, whatever, they are just nothing more than a nameless, faceless, amazing um, website that allows tens of millions of people 
every single week to go and buy tickets. Um, I've seen everything from $10,000 for a Bruce Springsteen ticket to $6. In Tulsa, Oklahoma, they plummeted to less than $10, including fees, days before the show. Um, so in case if people don't get tickets for today for whatever reason, keep checking back. Just make a meeting request in your email. Just check every so often and see, because sometimes they release tickets based on holds for the artist or lesser guest lists that they thought that they would have. And sometimes they just want to keep selling tickets. And so that, you know, nobody wants to have a non-sold out show, especially with Springsteen. So, uh, you know, keep checking them. So I've heard anywhere between thousands to less than $10 in some cases. Hmm. Maybe you know the answer to this. I think he's got three days before he has a show in Toronto. Would they, uh, And but I've heard that he likes to have some time off between shows. So would you say that that might indicate if this sells well and we expect it to go very quickly, that he might add a second show? What do you know about that with Bruce specifically? My guess is that one of the days is going to be for travel. So nobody wants to ever travel on the same day as they have a show, especially when you're that age, because it takes a lot out of you when you're doing a three-hour show, no matter how old you are. My guess, though, and I'm sorry to say this, is that if they're going to add another show, they might do it in Toronto rather than Winnipeg. But stranger things have happened, though. Um, But Mm -hmm. if they do announce another show, they'll be doing it in the next, I'd say, 24 to 48 hours, because they already have a hold they just don't make that information public. So they've got a hold on the venue. They've got a hold on the schedule just to see what tickets go for or just to create that more demand and more hype and more excitement on it. But my guess is they're probably going to do another show in Toronto over Winnipeg. But uh, you know what? It would be amazing if they did two shows in Winnipeg just because that demand was so high and they've never been there before. Yeah, I'm, people are starting to listen to us again here. Eric Ke- Kelly Ann says, "Hal, I just got row twenty four on the floor." She's very excited. So Amazing. obviously, Good for you, Kelly. yeah, obviously, uh, people are starting to get some tickets. L- let's uh, talk about this. I got this from Brian. Brian says, "Hal, Bruce Springsteen tickets in Winnipeg have been on sale on StubHub for days already. Do you think we might see a mini?" Taylor Swift situation uh, here in in Winnipeg because you had to become a verified fan through Ticketmaster. Then you got an invite, didn't necessarily guarantee you a ticket, and then now uh, you you try and get a ticket. Yeah, what usually happens when it comes to the the verified um, tickets and and the verified accounts is that um, Ticketmaster has to go above and beyond however many tickets are available. And the unfortunate thing is that they don't reveal how many tickets are available per show. So if, like, say, 5,000 tickets are going to be available in the first day, they might give out somewhere in the neighborhood of 15,000 to 100,000 codes because not everybody is going to be using those codes, and they certainly want to make sure um, that those tickets get taken first. There's also the Bruce Springsteen fan club that get access to tickets. And don't forget, not everybody that is going to be a verified member uh, that has tickets is from Winnipeg. There are people mm. all, literally all over the world that are either trying to travel to the show or that they're just going to scalp them. I mean, that's the other dirty secret that people don't really like to talk about is that most of the tickets that are sold on the secondary market and the reason why people don't like paperless tickets i.e. having tickets on your phone, is because they want to scalp them and make money on their own time. Not everybody wants to do that, but everybody wants to at least have the ability that in case if they can't go to the show at the last minute to get rid of them and make some money at the same time. So my guess is and my always advice is if tickets are on sale before the on-sale date, they're probably just 
either fake or that they're hoping that they get those tickets in hand. So I steer so clear of those places because you never know who's going to want them or, or, you know, want your credit card information. Sometimes it's a scam, sometimes it's not, but, you know, it's, it's impossible to actually have tickets in hand before they go on sale on the first time. Yeah, buyer beware. Eric, thanks for this. I just got to say, um, you know, I appreciate you always coming on when I want to talk music. Uh, you were real quick to reply to, again today. You always are. And, I mean, you're, you're a guy who's got, I checked this morning, you've got 900,000 followers on Twitter, and you've got many other followers on other social media platforms. So I always appreciate your time, sir. Uh, you know what, dude? Keep in mind, I only have three friends in real life, and you're one of them. So, <laughs> and I'm so one of them. Oh, that's I may have all know. these followers, but my mom <laughs> thinks I'm like head of a cult or something. So uh, <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you, Eric. I appreciate your time. No problem. Thanks so much, Al. We'll talk soon. All right. Musicologist Eric Alpert, his, uh, Alper, his website is thatericalper.com. Restaurant subscriptions, okay? Here's some details, and then we'll talk about it. We're willing to pay by the month for streaming services. Would you do the same for your favorite restaurant meals? Large chains like Panera and P.F. Chang's, along with neighborhood hangouts, are putting subscriptions on their menus as a way to increase revenue and customer visits. Some offer things like free drinks or appetizers. Others will waive the delivery charge for subscribers. Personal finance app Rocket Money says the average American had between six and seven subscriptions last year. That's up from four in 2019. Daria Albinger. ABC News. Now, I'll just say before we talk to my pal Dave Patrician here that for me, it's a bad time to be offering me yet another subscription. I feel like Netflix is kind of <laughs> has sort of screwed me right now, saying, "Oh, you got to tell us where you're watching from." And and uh, anyhow, and and I was not surprised to hear, but uh, the average person last year had six point seven subscriptions. I'm not so sure another one would fly. And for a restaurant? Mm, I don't know. I'm getting some reaction to this. Uh, no to subscriptions, Hal. So expensive to eat out already. And Ben says, Hal, restaurants that offer memberships for perks. Not crazy about the idea of belonging to a clicky, pretentious club. If a restaurant wants to lose my business entirely, they can go right ahead and implement this. All right, let's bring in Dave Patricia. Normally, my pal Dave, uh, we would introduce him as the sports doctor, and he is a great follow on Twitter, at the sports doctor. But Dave is the district manager for Mary Brown's Chicken, a board member for the Manitoba Restaurant and Food Services Association, and he's been working in restaurants since he was a kid in 1980. So usually when Dave and I get together, we've been friends for years, usually at some point the conversation goes to food and, and restaurants because that's his business. And, and I write a food column in the Winnipeg Sun, page two, every Sunday. And so we often talk about this. Dave, what, uh, so you heard what I think of this idea. What do you think of this idea? Well, you know, it's it's funny because I did a little bit more research when we started chatting this morning about this because subscriptions and clubs and things have been offered for a long time. I can even date this back to 1994 when I um, opened the Elephant and Castle downtown. Uh, we had something called the Muggers Club, and for $12 right. you got a mug with your name engraved on it, and you always get to come in. It was a one-time fee, though. It wasn't a reoccurring subscription fee, but you got um, 
a discounted price on a, on a beer that we offered or different beers that we offered. So, you know, I think the intention was, to, you know, to get newsletters and stuff like that, but things fall by the wayside. So this has been going on for a little while. It's, it's to your, the person that texted in, it's just a, it's not just another fee that you may not use. Like if you carefully use this, you could save some money. I'm, I'm reading online. There's a lot of restaurants for a, even as high as eighty nine dollars. You're gonna you're gonna guarantee like a hundred dollars worth of products. And if you're a fan of that restaurant, right. um, then you'll get invited to uh, when they have new menu trials. Um, there's one that, that it's a um, something like uh, it's called Take Care of Me Club. That uh, members of that can when they're there, they can send a drink to somebody else. There's there's all kinds of little different perks. So. I'm interested to see how more this that this how how this could spread because you know we restaurant people went through a real tough time during the uh, the pandemic uh, with different uh, closures and then restrictions and capacity limits and then you know all of a sudden the restaurant became an arm of the government that had to check for vaccine status cards and things like that so they're coming out of a real tough time so mm-hmm. anything that could help a restaurant tour probably is a good thing. Yeah, I think that's the right way to look at it, right? You've got your favorite restaurant or maybe two or three, and this is an opportunity to continue to support that restaurant, help them out at a difficult time. But you're right, get something back. And usually what you get back is worth more than what you put out. So when I look at it that way, I go, yeah, um, you know, I don't know as, uh, I don't know how I'd feel about a whole bunch of restaurants doing this, but listen, I think it's about building loyalty, right? It's about building your brand with an individual or a family. Kind of reminds me back in the, uh, big house, big dog days, you know, mm-hmm. when they had the hot dog carts, we had the loyalty carts, right? And if you had a hot dog, your six hot dogs, you got your seventh, uh, for free. So yeah, as long as you're getting something back and you're patronizing that restaurant anyhow, kind of makes sense. And, and, you, and you talked about the different subscriptions. You know, like we have Netflix and Prime and Apple Television and who knows what else I have sometimes, you know, because it just comes right off. And, and there is probably a time that you will not use Netflix. There might be a, during the summer. You're, you're not watching as much television or Apple Television when the Steve Martin and Martin Short sh- show stops you're not using apple tv as much but if i knew if i had something every month that said i got to use this i paid 89 dollars for it or i paid 50 dollars for it i got to go in there and make it i'm going to go there and especially if it's something i like i mean there's i'm reading a little bit more there's guys that have specialty subscriptions for uh and i just said before beer but you know you go in there and every two months and then you have a you have a supply of beer when you go in there there's ones that are as low as 8.99 a month i think it's panera bread in the states that you yeah. get coffee every time you go so mm-hmm. if, if, if you're going to use this it, it's it's a great thing and if you're not going to use it you're not going to subscribe so it's not going to be a thing like um uh sorry you can't come into the olive garden today because you're not a subscriber it's never going to be right. like that but it's going to be but if you do go to the olive garden once a week and you all of a sudden you say well you know for 49 dollars i can every time i go in i can get free soup salad and breadsticks hey maybe i'm going to do that <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And if you're going to Olive Garden or whatever, you know, your favorite restaurant is on a regular basis, I mean, at, you know, a buck fifty or two bucks a cup for a cup of coffee, uh, it's one of those add ons for the restaurant because there's not a big cost, right? Same with fries. Maybe you get free fries because the cost on, on fries is, is lower. And so a restaurant is able to do it. Yeah. I think if it's present, and several people are weighing in here saying there are restaurants and eateries in Winnipeg and in other parts of Manitoba 
that are doing it right now. Somebody said there's a lounge on uh, on Provence that's got some kind of a membership. So it is happening out there. I guess it just became part of the news run today, and I kind of thought, oh, it, but as I think of it more, uh, as long as you're getting value and it's a restaurant that you're going to go to and, and you love, it's another way to help, another way to support. I've, I've so many mailing lists because when you go in there and you get something for free by just joining their mailing list, whether it be an appetizer, um, there's a lot of them. You get the regular emails, and there's a lot of them that do provide incentives. Like we have at Mary Brown's Chicken, we have an a email list, and we have an app. So you sign up for the app. From time to time, there's something that just yeah. pops up and says, free chicken sandwich today. And boom, you, and we're overrun with that. So that's not a fee, but... It's kind of a hook, and that's what these things are too. And if you if you are going to get something of a larger value, I don't think it's a bad thing to pay for it. I mean, think about all the subscriptions we've had through our life, whether it be magazines or car clubs, or uh, when you buy the extra warranty in a car, like all that. What kind of money that you've kind of thrown away? But this is an opportunity to get something if you're going to yeah. use it. Maybe it's the word subscription that's bothering me because because uh, I am in the process right now of saying, okay, I've got too many streaming services. Which am I getting rid of? Maybe the word subscription is bothering me. Maybe it should be loyalty program. Maybe I wouldn't have reacted as negatively uh, if it was a restaurant loyalty program. I don't know. Maybe it's just the word that's bothering me. But the bottom line here is, uh, Dave, more and more restaurants are looking at this because, as you said, they have had a tough few years. Uh, many have not survived. Those that have survived are uh, hanging by a thread, and they've got to figure out a way to generate some more revenue, put some more uh, butts in the seats in their restaurant, and, and try and make a go of it. You know, and it goes back to a conversation we had about a year ago, um, uh, and over the weekend there was a wonderful story about Colecus in the newspaper, and uh, and people are weighing in and they're just whining and whining about why 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 it was my favorite place why why did it close well now that was a retirement but there's a lot yeah. of restaurants that you we you and I have frequented that aren't around mm-hmm. anymore and. No restaurant ever closes because it's too busy. So if you have a favorite restaurant right now and you think, well, that's my favorite place, but you haven't been there in a little while, it's time to go. It's time to get out right now because everybody needs their help. You don't want to be that guy going, why did that place close? I used to go there all the time. Well, I haven't been there in a couple of years, but that's some of the reasons. And now that things are, you know, gradually getting back to normal, um, you know, don't, don't, you know, you can still support by using a third-party delivery system but the best support is by going there seeing the owner smiling face uh supporting a local guy we've got a restaurant association meeting today at bailey's it's going to be great i'm looking forward to seeing leo and you know you you have to support what you have in, in, in any way you can and uh, that's it's just the times that we're in and when things really get back to normal you're going to be happy because you have your favorite place to go to dave thanks a lot pal i appreciate it my pleasure Uh, Joining us right now on the phone, economist and professor, School of Medicine at the University of Manitoba, Evelyn Forger. Evelyn, good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, We talked about the child poverty numbers last week, and whenever I talk poverty, I hear from people that say basic income. You know what? I I just got a text message right now uh, from one of our regular listeners up in, in Gimli from, uh, cat in Gimli. And she says it's past time for basic income. Um, Wonderful. and I know I they, absolutely. you, you agree. So go ahead, make your argument. 
Well, basic income is, is essentially a cash payment from government to people with low incomes that allows them to live their lives with a bit of dignity. And I, I mean, I could talk forever about why we need a basic income, as I'm sure many of your callers can. But mm-hmm. let me make let me make a really hard hearted, if I want, a cold business case for this. Sure. Yeah, because I think um, that's what it's going to take. I think so, too. I think so, too. I think we need to realize that we've got all kinds of programs in Canada that are designed to get money into the hands of people who need it. Hundreds of programs, and I'm not exaggerating when I say that. Some of them are offered by the federal government in the form uh, through the income tax, uh, refundable and non-refundable tax credits or programs like employment insurance, direct payments. Some of them are offered by the province. The big one is EIA, of course, and I think there are six different programs under EIA, maybe more, rent assist, things like that. Some of them are offered uh, by municipalities, um, things like reduced, um, reduced cost bus passes and, and things like that. All of these programs together um, are inadequate, and most of them are badly designed. And when I say they're badly designed, I mean that they either give money to people who don't need it, um, or um, they conflict with other programs. So if you if you qualify under Program A, you've um, reduced your eligibility under Program B, which might have been more useful. Um, or or um, they punish you for trying to work and trying to improve um, your life. Um, you know, perhaps you can get a part-time job, but if you take away the benefit on a dollar-for-dollar basis, it never makes sense to go to work. Basic income says, okay, let's look at these hundreds of different programs across the country. Can't we clean this up a little bit? Getting money into people's hands shouldn't be a hard thing. But in fact, what we do is we ask people at the hardest times in their lives, because people aren't looking for money when they're comfortable. Um, you know, th- these, are, these are times when they're struggling to feed their kids and struggling to pay the rent. And we say, okay, sit down at your computer now and work through the bureaucracies of three different levels of government and see that um, see which programs you might be eligible for. Every one of them has different eligibility requirements, different application procedures, and different ways of accessing these programs. Most people never get all the benefits that they're entitled to receive under Canadian law right now. And even the ones that do end up with a total package of money that's well below the poverty line. Not enough to keep body and soul together. And so the question is, can't we do something about that? Can't we introduce a basic income that allows people, people should not be living in poverty in a country like Canada. We are spending a lot of money and we're not getting the return on it. And so I think basic income is exactly the way to go. It's well past time, as your caller just said. It's something we need. There have been cost studies on basic income half a dozen different cost studies or more that I know about, all of which show very clearly that this is a choice. Keeping people in poverty is a choice we're making in this country. We can afford a basic income. Let's introduce it. Well, and I keep hearing, uh, so I'm glad to hear that you say there have been several pilot projects or tests of this because I, I always, the one I hear about all the time is the four years in the 1970s in <laughs> Dauphin. So there are others too, right? There are. Um, there are um, all over the world in low-income countries, in, in European countries. So they, they, it's been tried in several places. Um, they tried to do one a few years ago in Ontario, but the change in government was sort of the end of that before it began. Um, but, you know, the, it, it's not 
it's not really something that we should have to demonstrate. I mean, we know the costs of poverty. We're already paying the costs of poverty. Um, I'm a health economist. You you introduced me by saying that I'm at the School mm. of Medicine. Well, all you have to do is walk through the hallways at the Health Sciences Center or go into the uh, go into the weight rooms and talk to people. And you realize very quickly that we're treating the consequences of poverty through our health care system. Sure. That's, I mean, that's insane. That it's it's an incredibly costly and inefficient way of dealing with poverty. And it's not only hospitals. I mean, that's the one I'm aware of. But the justice system, if you if you look at the justice system, 80 percent of women who are incarcerated are there for poverty related crimes. And by poverty related crimes, I mean, things like theft or welfare fraud. That's why they're in prison. Prisons are expensive, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, kids who end up in care because their parents are incarcerated, or or because uh, because it's difficult sometimes to tell the difference between neglect and poverty. Mm-hmm. These are not these are not social issues that we should be living with when we can do better than that. This is uh, this get uh, listen. I consider uh, I'm I think I'm a pretty passion, uh, compassionate guy. Um, And, uh, you know, I'm already getting the text messages, right? Um, Hal, no, definitely not. Can't afford this. Uh, You know, we're expanding the welfare system. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about showing compassion, right? We keep talking about dealing with the root causes of poverty uh, in this case. But I think people just think, oh, somebody's trying to rip off the system. But if what you're saying is true, and I have no reason to doubt you, Evelyn, if what you're saying is true, it would cost less to do more. I think in the long run, that would be true. Um, But, I mean, you realize that we are paying the consequences of poverty. There's no way to avoid that. We're paying them in all kinds of ways in our society. This says, let's do something about it. But basic income doesn't come in on top of everything else. It replaces Mm -hmm. other programs. So it's a a replacement for EIA, for example. It's a replacement for the many uh, tax credits that are Mm -hmm. offered to the income tax system. I like what you said earlier about cleaning it up because, boy, anybody yeah. that I know that is stuck in the system, yeah. it's me- it is messy for them. It's, it's difficult it's for them, right, at a, at a time when they need help uh, and they need it quickly. Exactly. Exactly. It's, it's The paperwork that's required is unbelievable. And and it's it's solely to answer that question. You know, people are trying to rip off the system. Well, the more rules you have, um, the, the, the more likely it is that people will not be in compliance with the rules of the system. I mean, it's, it's, it's a matter of cleaning it up and making sure that people understand how the program works and that they can get the money easily. Mm-hmm. So where do we go from here, Evelyn? Because this has been talked about forever. As I said, I yeah. keep hearing about this, you know, a study that was done in Dauphin in the 70s. But as yeah. you said, there are many other more recent examples of how this could work and work mm-hmm. well. So where do we go? Uh, you know, we're in the middle of a provincial election campaign. This isn't, mm-hmm. re- you know, child poverty. Poverty maybe is on the radar, but the idea of basic income I don't think is. How, how do we at least try and bring this in and show people that it can work? Because I think if we can show success, then people will be more willing to buy in. Well, you know, I think I think it's important to realize we do have two groups of people in Canada who already have a basic income. You mentioned the child benefit. Families with kids under 18 have access to a form of basic income through the Canada Child Benefit. 
seniors, um, in, if their incomes are low enough, have access to both OAS and GIS, the Guaranteed Income Supplement. That, too, is a form of basic income. The one gap in the system is for working-age adults, people between the ages of 18 and 64. And that's where the deepest poverty is, not among seniors, not among kids, but, in fact, uh, working-age adults. And, that's and I think the other, I think the other thing too, Evelyn, that I hear from people is, uh, and and I get it, I understand, right? We're all taxed mm-hmm. to death, and many people say, I, I don't want anybody ripping off the system. Do you see that as? A, I think it's a problem now. How could we avoid uh, some people? I think a minority of the people, small minority of the people, ripping off the system under uh, a basic income plan. Well, you know, a simpler system is actually less easy to rip off than a very complicated system. Mm. Um, I, there's actually very little evidence of um, intentional welfare fraud. There is a lot of um, a mistaken collection of benefits, benefits that are paid incorrectly, that take time to clean up. A lot of that happens because of the complexity of the system and the way it's organized. Um, but I, there's, there's very little reason to, to believe, and in fact, there's good reason to believe that there would be less fraud under a basic income simply because it's a simpler system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Listen, this makes sense to me. Um, at least let's, you know, try and bring it in on a smaller scale, show that it works, show that it saves us money. The system is easier. Uh, I'm I'm open to it. Not everybody is, and I'm hearing from a lot of my listeners right now, and they're calling me all kinds of names. <laughs> um, but but I think the discussion is I think the discussion is an important one, and if it can work, yeah. uh, boy, we should be doing this. Yeah, absolutely. Evelyn, I really appreciate your time today. Thanks a lot. Thanks very much. Ukrainian refugees here in Canada and in Manitoba and in Winnipeg, they're assessing their future here. More than 150,000 Ukrainians have come to Canada under a special federal program announced after the conflict began. The executive director of the Ukrainian-Canadian Congress says Ukrainian newcomers are trying to figure out what path might work best for them in the future. Ihor Mikhlchishin says many who fled thought they'd be able to return home in a few weeks, but that turned into months, and now it's been a year. He says people are looking to understand their options. Ukrainian newcomer Yulia Kleben says she feels safe in Canada but continues to worry about her loved ones that are still in Ukraine. Kleben lives now in Toronto and says she plans to stay in Canada and hopes her husband, who couldn't leave Ukraine due to the general mobilization law, will be able to join her one day. John Kennedy, the Canadian Press. You heard there that over 150,000 Ukrainians are here in Canada now. The number is actually 158,277 and about 12% have sought refuge here in Manitoba. That accounts for more than any other province on a per capita basis. Let's talk about this with Joanne Lewandowski, president of the Ukrainian-Canadian Congress here in Manitoba. Joanne, good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for doing this. I won't keep you long. I know how busy you are. Um, are, are you hearing that from a lot of the refugees here in Winnipeg and, and Manitoba? Um, are they sort of saying, well, where do we go now from here? It's a year. Are most of them hoping to stay? Are some thinking uh, that maybe at some point they'll be able to go back? What are you hearing? Well, I think it's a two-way street. If they have something to go back to, they might consider it. 
However, for most part, we're hearing that they're looking to get permanent residency. They want to work. They want to make sure that they can uh, legitimately apply for permanent residency and become citizens of Canada and, of course, Manitoba. Hey, Joanne, how proud are you of that number? Uh, that 12% of that 158,000 Ukrainians here in Canada are here in Manitoba more than any other province when you look at it on a per capita basis. You have to be proud about that. We are friendly Manitoba. We have welcomed them graciously. We have been working with them diligently, helping them settle, helping them get jobs. Um, And we're the only province in Canada that gives them a month of free board and room. So they have that month to orientate themselves, find out what they want to do, where they want to live, where they want their children to go to school and get jobs. So, and here's another here's another interesting number, Joanne, that I, I read in uh, some of these stats that we got. So, you know, 12% of 158,000, that's uh, thousands of people. Um, I guess, uh, you know, 12, 13, oh, sorry, um, 17,000 uh, here in Manitoba. That's the number. And I find this interesting. We were just talking about uh, poverty and, and basic income. And people, when we talk about that, talk about abuse of the system. Of those thousands of Ukrainians that are here, 150 eligible households are receiving provincial temporary assistance benefits to support with things like housing and supplemental health care, including prescriptions and and dental and optical benefits. Uh, You're part of this system that's helping these people. You've got to be doing a great job when you see that 150 households are getting extra help. We're trying our best. We're trying to accommodate. And there are certain things that um, if we can, we do help them. Uh, We got some money from the Dental uh, Foundation that helped with dental care because dental isn't covered by medical. Um, We do uh, a free service here in our office to help uh, people get jobs. So what we do, we have over 85 employers We have all volunteers here working. We have, at times, three or four at a time. And they review people's resumes. They tweak them if they need. And then they match them with the job availability that we have from the uh, people who have joined us to offer jobs for people that are coming from Ukraine. And the um, job offers are great. And the employers are thrilled because... These people are coming with great skills, a lot of them post-secondary education, and an ability to handle the English language. Now, not everyone. We have a lot of um, young mothers with children whose English skills aren't as good as uh, others, but these are mothers who have had to also look for positions where they can work and let their children be looked after. We, We lack in daycare and uh, we lack in um, helping these mothers find physicians because daycare is an important part of their lives. Mm -hmm. I was just going to ask you, what's the greatest need right now? I'm sorry? What is the greatest need right now, Joanne? Uh, The greatest need right now is um, probably language programs 
for people who need to learn English. Also, um, job opportunities where English isn't a factor or a big factor. And, um, well, you know what? Also, uh, I'm seeing that these uh, lodgings might become a problem because it is getting much more difficult to find apartments. However, um, things are falling into place slowly but surely. Glad to hear it. Joanne, don't work too hard. I told you off air recently when we met, sat at the same table at an event. I told you not to work too hard. Don't work too hard. Get some help. We're trying hard, but you know (laughs) what? Our job is to accommodate these people who are running from a war. And that is our, and that would we, we have to focus on that because that it is not pleasant for them and they have to restart their lives in a new country. Yeah. Yeah. And you and your team are doing that. Joanne, appreciate your time on a busy day. Thank you. All the best. My pleasure.